How are you all doing today? Um, this should be fun because, as many of you know, I was a teacher and I found that it's great to plan and put things together and get all your thoughts together. But I found that if I did that days before I actually did the lesson, I didn't understand stuff myself. Well, here's the warning. I prepared this on Friday. <laughs> so I may be a bit confused. Um, okay. We're going to gallop along today, hopefully. And we've got lots of different bits to put in. And I'm looking for um, congregational involvement. Yes. Some of you may be part of an exciting thing. Right, there we go, let's get that going. So, first of all, let me just see, let me see your faces looking at me. Right, everyone pull a happy face. Right, everyone pull a sad face. <laughs> sad face, happy, sad face. Okay, uh, give me a, uh, a kind of like a cunning, a scheming face. So I'm not actually reflecting your faces, I'm just looking, because I'm looking for some volunteers for later on, and it's, it's a mime, so I need to see how we're doing with the faces. It might be good to get, to get some of our Spanish folk to do it, that'd be fun for them to translate at the same time. Okay, right. Um, just, a couple of, just a couple of verses. Um, to, I'm gonna, I suppose this, this talk sits within a a kind of atmosphere of different things. And, um, and I'll, I'll read these to you. Um, we can have a little look at... Uh, we we'll, won't pick up with them, but I want you to keep them in your mind. So Psalm 42, very, uh, very familiar. Um, As a deer longs for the, longing, uh, for the flowing streams, so I long for you. I'll tell you what, I'll wear my glasses. There we go. Ah, oh yes. I, th I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive processions to the house of God with joyful, thankful shouts. That, that's, it sounds, it's about good stuff, but it's a lament. In fact, in my Bible, it says a longing for God. There's um, verse, um, Psalm 55 talks about the sweet fellowship at the house of the Lord to walk amongst the worshippers. Um, many of you will remember Mike Stevens. And Mike has got a particular um, psalm, he calls this his life verse. Psalm 27, uh, verse 4. I have asked one thing from the Lord... It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Different, different things to kind of connect with. Psalm 20, uh, 122 says, How is glad, very glad, when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord today. Yeah, it kind of makes me want to sing and dance. I, I want to plant those particular... Uh, verses just in your mind, just to capture this concept of longing. And of course, when, when the Bible talks about the house of the Lord, it's talking about the place of the presence of God, particularly in the Old Testament. So I'm not, you know, as much as it is nice to come and see you lot, 
I am not longing for a Sunday morning. I'm longing for the presence of God in, in a corporate expression. It could, be, it could be anywhere, couldn't it? Where two or three are gathered, we can have a, a connection. And many of us have experienced that connection with God and connection with one another. Those two things come together because we've been designed for a relationship with him and with one another. So let's see. Are we on? Red one. Here we go. I'm going to chuck out a couple of things uh, to chew on. Um, and, then, um, and then this is not even the start. This is not the end. This is not even the beginning of the end. Maybe it's the end of the beginning. Churchill quote, got to get them in sometime. Right. Okay, it's interesting. God has a name. Why don't we use it? Often we say, Lord. We kind of use a label. We say, God. But God has a name. There's many names. I've been reading something recently. It says, actually, partly it's because we have this, this distance from God. We slink back. We use a title rather than use his name. We don't say Yahweh. Yahweh is one of those wonderful words that, that encompasses in the sound of the word what it's trying to say. It's the breath the life-giving breath of force of, of God, this whole, this whole breathing, this whole sense that, that God is that creator God. When we say Yahweh, we're uttering or endeavouring to utter the fullness of God. Part of our problem is we've, we've heard the lie, the lie of the serpent right at, uh, at the start in the garden, that, that God doesn't want the best for us, that he's not to be trusted. So that distance starts. So I wonder part that thought, why, why is there this distance? And how can we overcome this difference, distance? How about this one? We know in heaven there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. It will be obvious to worship God, right? So on earth, we can do something that we cannot do there. We can choose to love and worship God in the midst of all those things. It's a special, specific worshipping thing. In fact, as Mark uh, led us to pray today, in the midst of unanswered prayers, we can, answer, we can pray and worship and love God in the midst of things which aren't perfect. We can't do that in heaven. Yeah, you see, that's got you going. We have to chew on that one. Right, okay. It relates somehow, I'm sure, to some of the things we're going to go on to do. Right, now this one, Anthony's not here, is he? Anthony's given guidance out on how we should do PowerPoints, and this is against his guidance. <laughs> Actually, he's never here when I'm speaking, is he? He's always trying to get away. Right, okay, I read this recently, um, a, a chat called Giles Fraser. Do you remember a couple of weeks back, I'll tell you what, I'll take that away for a while. Do you remember a couple of weeks back... Um, that there was a big thing with a Conservative Party contest and they were all confessing to doing drugs. Yes. It kind of felt like that was the normal thing to do. And there was that whole thing about Michael Gove that he was, he was writing articles saying we should put people in prison at the same time as sniffing coke at the weekend. And there was a whole thing about hypocrisy. And it was quite interesting and not particularly surprising in the state of politics and stuff. But this article came up and I... I like to, I'll read the bits to you, just so we can all go through it. I have a theory about why hypocrisy has become moral crime number one. Because in the age of moral relativism, where it's widely believed that our values are self-generated, what it means there is there's no, there's no one telling me right and wrong, I, I decide what's right and wrong myself. 
Inconsistency is just about the only thing we can get someone on. Yeah? If morality is our own business, our own invention, uh, then not living up to our own rules is the only thing that counts as moral failure. And so, oh, I'm going to struggle with this. So moral disputation becomes a game of gotcha. So that whole thing that if I can't say, if I can't tell Neil, Neil, you should live this way or that way, because we have an agreed set of rules for us coming from the Bible, then the only thing I can say to him he does wrong is if he doesn't do the things he says he's going to do. It's interesting, it goes on here. I have a totally different take on hypocrisy. Better to have high standards that you fail to meet than low standards that are designed around your own moral capacity or incapacity. For me, hypocrisy is the inevitable byproduct of upholding high, even objective moral standards. If you're not a hypocrite, you're just not trying hard enough. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I think it's really good. I remember a number of years ago, Grant and I were talking about standards of behaviour and how we could kind of decide, you know, at what point we were going to uh, work with particular uh, children within Lifeline projects and what. And we were trying to work our way through this. I wish I'd had this article then to kind of say, actually, we want to have high standards. We're not always going to hit them, but we want to have them there. Okay. Right. Oh. good. No, no, it's good. Keep going. Oh, I know, I know. I tell you, can we just have my light on? Because we're going to flip with videos on and off, and I will watch the sleepers amongst you. I have discovered that if I encourage you to speak to the person next to you every now and again, and even to poke them, it is quite amazing to see what happens in the congregation. So, those of you who have already fallen asleep will get a nasty poke. Right, okay. What is happening? What's that about? Some people have not seen The Hobbit and not seen Lord of the Rings. That means they are people that need to, they need to do that. Yes. Right. So somebody who is very good at summarising, what is that song about? It's 
a, a prophecy going on journey. I, I like that. You've turned that almost to where I wanted to go. It's, it's, a limit, it's more of a lament of losing something, right? So those little fellows there, they're dwarfs. They have lost their home. A dragon came along and took their home. It kind of happens all the time, very common thing. Um, and they are lamenting. They are longing for home. And that music, I, I was hoping Heather would be here, but I'll have to fall back on Heidi. What's it called, that kind of music? Modal. Modal. It's like, it kind of groans out. Yeah, it's a kind of groaning music. You like that? It's quite good though, isn't it? Right. I just want, guys, can we just have this light on? Can we just this one on? Because I'm going to put lots of videos on. I don't want to keep flicking lights on, on and off. Right. Good. Or maybe not. Um, they do, you know, they switch the lights. You know when you're upstairs and downstairs and they, they have the same thing here. That's why it's exciting. Every Sunday. What lights are going to turn things on? Right, okay. So today, is it's going to be about the call of the road versus the yearning for home. One's good, one's bad. I might as well get you there. Road is not good. Home is good. Road is bad. Maybe if that's, that's for the people doing the nutshell. There you go. Road, you get that down. Road good. Road bad. Home good. Right, okay. The road. I'm going to whip through this stuff quite quick, and I'm just trying to get a sense to you of different things, all right? Let's start with chicken nuggets. Do you know that chicken nuggets were invented after the car was invented? Because they wanted to discover a way that you could consume chicken on your own, on the move. If you think about chicken, right, it's not, you know, it's not easy it's kind of messy, it's kind of, you know, the way you eat it and that kind of thing. You can't, you know, I mean, if you've got a leg maybe, but nevertheless, I was chomping some chicken last night and it got all over me. But that chicken nugget is very neat and tidy. It says something, when, when food and coming together is one of those things, I think it's a God-given thing we have to do. And it's an opportunity to come together and to connect, yeah? That you can have an individualised packet of nuggets and just be on the road. Yes? Okay, good. Right. Here's some, I thought that was profound, but obviously that's not, you know. I was thinking, if they take one thing, they'll take the nuggets. Oh, pun. Right, okay. Here's, here's some of the things. The cultural waters in which we swim. This is, this is all around us. Yes? Love is a feeling, not a discipline. Sin, the sin of this world, right, what they consider bad, is denying yourself and your de desires, right? That's, that's the bad, that's the bad of this culture. It's topsy-turvy. There's a constant quest for meaning and place and identity. Things take precedence over people. Truth is reduced into what makes me feel good. It's interesting, throughout history, young people have rioted, thrown off shackles of oppression, headed to the palace to overthrow the king. Yet in 2011, they didn't go to the House of Commons. They went and they raided the shops. They smashed up the things. Young people have always been revolutionary, wanting change. But here the consumerism was so inbuilt that, actually I have to confess, I felt a little bit like whipping out and getting a plasma screen myself. But um, we were in Northern Ireland, the one place that's very expert at rioting, 
and the only place there were no riots. So I was in Northern Ireland where they've got all the water cannons and plastic bullets ready to go, watching TV and seeing everyone raid Comet or wherever it was, then Curry's. That was probably the end of Comet. It's interesting, isn't it? What else have we got? This is one of my real bugbears, reality TV. Today we mistake emotional nakedness and disclosure for community. Let me blurb it out, and that's really sharing. The reality TV, the spectacle, the humiliation in public, the shaming, it kind of feels a little bit like being a gladiator, doesn't it? Or watching gladiators kill themselves or kill each other. Emotional adolescence, never initiated into adulthood. It's interesting when you look at cultures throughout the world, if you are a boy who is kept as a boy and you never become a man, it is better to die. It is better to die than to stay as an adolescent. Not saying that you lot, you know, it's a stage, we'll get through it. But to stay as an adolescent, to stay kind of not grown up, but yet in a bigger body, not responsible. A psychic homelessness, an individual sense of personal autonomy, freedom rules over social cohesion. You know, we've talked about this before. You, you can't have complete freedom and cohesion and belonging or purpose. You can't have it. You can't have it those ways. Those things have to go. Where belief or faith is now countercultural, it's an act of rebellion. One of the ways we spot this is when people say, I still believe in Jesus, but... Condition, condition, condition. I still believe in Jesus, but I don't want to be part of church. I still believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure about whatever doctrine it is. It's an interest in this kind of, this pick and mix faith. It's sign of the road, sign of this transient way of being. Here he is, hero of our time. Okay, who's this? Right, go for the character. I've gone for a character picture. It's Sherlock Holmes, right? Doctor Strange. Yes, yes, actors do appear in more than one things, but I've gone for him in his Sherlock Holmes costume. Right. Sherlock is, I kind of like Sherlock. He's cool in his own way, and maybe that's a key word, what's cool. But he does leave a slight trail of destruction behind him, particularly with relationships. How does he describe himself? I'm not even sure if this is a condition, but he does describe himself this. A high-functioning social... Interesting that you two got that exactly. Yes. High-functioning sociopath. I'm not quite sure if that's an official thing. I don't know if we've got any psychiatrists here. But it basically means he does what he wants when he wants to do it, and he drags other people around, and he leaves, you know. And he... There's a really interesting episode where he acts as if he is in love with someone, and it is a complete act because he's just focused on himself. I'm with you, oh, it's a great, he gets, he solves the crime though, doesn't he? It doesn't matter how he gets there, he solves the crime. He's, he's actually a good picture of our times, the heroes of our times. Everything revolves around him. Right, let's see. This is a great statement. I've been reading this book by a chap called Mark Sayers. That's, that it's itself is commenting on this whole concept of the road. Um, there's a book written by a chap called Jack uh, Kernak. Am I getting that? 
Kerouac. Well, that's three different pronunciations I'm getting. And he says, the road has made us fickle. It's made our faiths weak. It's made us spoiled. To state in the most brutal and blatant forms, the road is ruining our lives and ruining our culture. That whole sense of being, you know, whenever, I'm, whenever things are difficult, I'll just get up and leave. I'll move on. I'll, I'll just change things around. It's the road. Every time I think of the road, I think about that TV show, The Littlest Hobo. Anyone remember that? About the dog? Yes, okay, this is good. Obviously, it's a people in the same age range reference because Rhodey always has to laugh at the things that none of the rest of you get because she watched the same TV as me. It's about a dog, isn't it? Yeah. Made you cry. But he always went on, didn't he? Like, like, Lassie, like Lassie without the family. Okay, well, I won't go on trying to explain Little as Hobo, but it was the whole thing about just moving on. So, I am who God says I am, right? Versus, I am who I say that I am. Those are the two thoughts. The new virtue, not denying yourself for the sake of others, but in expressing the self for self alone. See, we know Jesus' call to us to deny ourselves. But everywhere, all around us, pretty much everything we watch on TV, all the films, all the stuff, is all saying, express yourself. Do the thing for you. We are swimming in this pool, in terms of our culture and stuff. So our identity is supposed to come from God. But actually, our identity, we're often saying, is I'm going to determine my identity. And it creates all kinds of problems. David Cassidy was sharing that. In fact, denying ourselves is viewed, I've got a quote here from a sociologist called Robert Bellum, it says, to deny self is viewed negatively in an individualistic age, is considered oppressive, dangerous, and anti-human, to deny ourselves. Imagine that, if you're to go and get some kind of therapy, some kind of input, potentially the thought process behind that person is, oh, hang on, you need some you time. It's dangerous for you to deny yourself. Oh, that's not good. Tim Farron, who's a former leader of the Lib Dems, and he spoke at our event last week on uh, how faith tackles loneliness. He says that radical individualism is going to result in loneliness. Makes sense, doesn't it? If I'm just doing stuff for myself and not doing stuff, you have to have a unit. You have to have a connection. You have to lay down some of your preferences. He said something else was really interesting. And I think it's about us understanding that we cannot be the total determiner of everything. He said he was reading in Ecclesiastes, all things are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. That's a, it's a happy-go-lucky book of the Bible. Everything's futile. Everything's futile under the sun. But he says, you know what? But we have a belief of something that is above the sun. If we look at the earth and the stuff around us and we focus on what we understand, then there is limitations. But our hope is bigger and greater. Right. 
this is where you guys get to jump up. We could have the lights on now because I need to have some expressive people. You know, it's interesting, in, in the Bible, if you actually look at the text of the Bible, you know often when we look at our individual versions, they have the verse numbers, they have little subtitles, and we've come to calling this story um, the story of the lost son or the story of the prodigal, but it, Jesus starts with this phrase, a man had two sons. Why do you think it's important for us to remember? It's not just about one son. It's about the second son. Oh, sorry. I mean to do that to you. Right, two sons. And actually what happens with the second son is important as well. So, what I need are some expressive faces. Martin is my favourite expressive person. Actually, Georgia is also, but she's not here. Come on down. Right. Martin. Okay. Should we, we can have Dad. He could be an expressive face. <laughs> that is more than my talents can do. Right. Who else? I'm thinking, I can see some people. Who wants to... Oh, look at them. Elspeth. <laughs> no, she's got to take pictures. Right, okay. Right, let me see. We'll have Debbie. We'll have, actually, we, we can have all three of you. There you go. That's really easy. Mm. Right. Now, I do need a pig as well. <sighs> right, okay. Um, ram. Ram. Ram could be a pig. Good. What? No, we can't have mum because it's a pig. <laughs> oh. Right, okay. Let me see. Right, Debbie, we're going to come and stand here on the spot. Right, Debbie, you're the father. Okay. Right? Okay. Right. And Martin, you can be the elder son. Right? Okay, come here. That's there. And you can be, yes, you can be the younger son. Right, okay. Now we're going to do a little bit of, of, can you lot see it over there? Do I need to get them to stand back? Shuffle back, shuffle back. We could use the stage, I suppose. Should we use the stage? When I was studying drama, we did this. We did plasticine people. We modelled them, that kind of thing. Right, right, I'm going to turn this off. Oh, so... So, this is where we could lose all our time. Right, so, there was a man, he had two sons, okay, he had a younger son, right? You have to stand still, you said, it's like plasticine. Oh dear, this could be problematic. Right, and he had an elder son, right? Okay, right? But the younger son said, you know what, Father, I would like my inheritance now. What does that essentially mean? I wish you were dead. Okay, so, no, you've got to do that. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay, all right. So, let me see, I've got to get my things in order, get all my proper pictures in. Right, so, son asked for inheritance. Okay, so I'll tell you what, Debbie, you stand down here. Right, here we go. So, no, no, you can't do big grins on your faces. Oh, dear. Right, so, so, Martin is, yes. Martin is not impressed by this young upstart of a brother. The father is looking <sighs> upset and shocked. And the son is looking 
give me your money. Right, okay, good, right, that's good, good, thank you. You two can stand to one side now. So the sun goes off. Well, you could, you could stand up here. You're, you're on the road, on the road. <laughs> on the road, yeah, yeah, you have to be frozen, right. But She can't do Michael Jackson. She was supposed to do moonwalking, right. Okay, but anyway, you We're not understanding the concept of montage. Here we go. Still, there you go. Party, party. So she has a party. We know, we know that the sun goes off. He squanders all the money. Has a good time, or so he thinks. But he's left with nothing. Um, and let me see. Oh, with my glasses gone. Here we go. Right. Got to give us his right. So he's partying. Right. So hits hard times and uh, ends up. Uh, becoming a servant. Now, it's very interesting. Neil, I think you would make a marvellous pig if you would... <laughs> if you could come down. If you come down here. Neil, you can go. You've got a pig on the stage. No, you're going down. You're going down. Yeah, not just Neil. That's fine. Right. Pig on all fours, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you. <laughs> right, okay. Right, it's really interesting. The word it uses in the Greek, you're not, I've not formed them yet. <laughs> yes, he does look like a smug pig. You can't see that over there. That's, that's, I've never seen such smugness in a pig. There we go, can you see that? He's looking very smug. <laughs> if you, if, right, just, just freeze, it's like it's a montage. Right, so... <laughs> Oh dear, the things I have to work with. Um, right, the word it uses when it says he hired himself out is the word to glue or to stick, to adhere. What happens? What happens in this scene? What's happening here? The pig? Yeah, pig's above. Yeah, but what did, do you remember what it says in the Bible? What does the, what does the sun say? Yeah, you're jumping ahead, jumping ahead, watch it, watch it. Not just yet, I can see where you're going. What does he say about the food? He, he feels hungry. Here's the interesting thing, he has effectively sold himself into slavery or he's become an indentured labourer or something like that, and yet he's still hungry. He's adhered himself to the ways of this land and still he's not fed. Yeah? And thank you for spotting the thing. Where is he? Is he upstage or downstage? So the pig's higher value than him. Pigs in Jewish culture are not known to be high value things. Yeah? So he is wishing that he could have the stuff the pig has because the journey he's gone on does not feed him. The thing that he is yearning for is not fed. Yes? How was he, when he asked for the money, when he asked for the money from the father, we said already that he, I wish you were dead. Was he upstage or downstage? Was he above the father or below? He was above. Okay. Right, so he comes to his senses. That's interesting, that whole thing that we have to come to our senses. 
We have to see things for how they are. He comes to his senses and he thinks, even in my father's house, the servants are well fed. Well done, well son. Right? So, um, thank you, pig, you're done. Thank you. Well done, it's very good. Right, Debbie, if you come back here. Oh, no, 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 don't you get on that stage, mate. Don't you get on that stage, it's all symbolic. Right, Martin, you can come and stand here. Do, a, do your special face. Grumpy face. <laughs> Grumpy face? Yeah. <laughs> it's like his resting face. <laughs> right. Okay, right, you come here. She says, and she's heading back to the father. She, he, sorry. Heading back to the father and saying, we'll take the knee, we'll take the knee. Now you can do it as well. <laughs> I'm demonstrating. Right, right, okay, and, and just lift a little hand up. There we go, right, okay. So he goes back to the father and says, I've sinned against you and against God. Yes? And what does the father do? This is where we can break it. Go on. And then take her onto the stage, take her onto the stage. Now, the interesting thing, thank you, Martin, you can sit down, I'll keep them there. Right, the interesting thing is the son elevated himself to start with, but it was only through his bowing down that the father elevates him and brings him back up status again. Yeah, remember the whole phrase, the way, the way up is down. So that whole thing that in this world uh, is about putting ourselves first, pushing ourselves forward, but actually, God's intention was always that we would walk in the garden with him. That we would be like him, be in the image of him. And we keep striving in our culture for the stuff that God is already intending for us. But because of our mistrust that he's a good, good father, it means we go on our own journey, we go on our own road, we go grasping for stuff. And it doesn't work because in the end, the culture we have does not feed us does not feed those people around, does not give what they need. And yet, we come to the Father, we're lifted up again. And I think, that as, I, as I was reading the story recently, I just saw these different pictures. I saw them a little bit differently than what we've managed today, I will say. But I saw these different pictures in different stages, in different journeys and decisions made. You guys can go. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Right. Good, good, good. So, let's have a little look. Now, do you, anyone remember this film? Right, what's the key phrase? Do you want to play? Right, so quickly explaining, it's a film about the Cold War and it's about nuclear weapons. And there's this marvellous big computer that's set up to essentially to help the American military defend themselves and potentially wipe out Russia, okay? And these kids discover there is this secret computer and they want, and it's like the ultimate computer game because it kind of models out different scenarios. And they want to play with it. And they realize that despite all the security, there's a back door. It's interesting what the back door is. It's the name of his son, the creator's son. Hmm, interesting parallels, isn't it? I believe that God has planted in us, in our soul, a backdoor to his will.
that actually within us is a desire, a yearning for him. So in Romans, it talks about us waging within ourselves. We want to do good. We end up doing bad. This whole waging, waging a war within ourselves. It says, uh, so that's Romans 7. In Romans 8, it says, whole of creation is yearning, is groaning. Remember the song, the dwarves, that yearning, that groaning within us. I found in recent times, as we've sung particular songs, I found particular lines come out to me. So there is, there is that, when we've been there 10,000 years in, in amazing grace, yes, that sense of, wow, we're going to be there. There's a home for us. There's a home of being the presence of God. Up would, up would I look and see him there in the, uh, the song before the throne of God, who made an end of all my sin. One with himself, I cannot die. And then, of course, that marvellous song about so I will, that whole thing of all that list of different things. We have a God-given yearning in us to be in our Father's house, to be in his presence. But the problem about this yearning is yearning for home. And the problem with home is there are restrictions. There's a restriction to personal freedom there. But it does come with a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging. Now, I'm a little bit aware of the time, so I'm not going to show this film now. But at the start of the film The Hobbit, they go on this quest to retake this mountain. And at one point, they lose the Hobbit, who is the key character who's going to help them through. And they start to grumble, well, he's just run away, he's gone home, and that kind of thing. And he comes and he says, I do remember my home, and I wish I was there. I am homesick. But because I have my home, I want you to have a home as well. I'm going to help you. It's his understanding and knowledge of his home that propels him to help others to reach it. So I will help you take back your home if I can. And it's a very powerful, moving bit where he makes a commitment. It's interesting, Paul in Philippians 1 uh, talks about how I long to be with Christ. I long to die and be with Christ. But it's better for you that I'm here with you. And I think there's something for us here about that whole thing that as we taste of the presence of God, as we, as we see those pictures and hope of home, it makes us want to draw other people into that. It makes us want to draw other people off of the road and into home. It gives us a hint of what we've got. So here's an interesting... Oh, we'll clip that, we'll flip that. And as I've been looking at this, I've been thinking particularly of young people. There's always this thing about, well, they need to find themselves, they need to go off to university and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's... I think it's good to, to kind of grow up, to find ourselves those kind of things, but I think we're looking in the wrong direction. Does that mean I need to do drugs? I need to, I don't know, drugs, sex, rock and roll, all those kind of things? No. That, those are false pictures. If we want to find ourselves, we need to go to the maker. There should be an army of young people not going off to university, I don't have a problem with university. There should be an army of young people as scholars seeking after God, using that energy, using the stuff that God's put in them to find the true 
themselves in God, in the Creator. We can find ourselves, but we only find ourselves in Him because He made us. It needs focus, it needs attention, and it needs devotion. You can't get there, there's no quick, quick way to go. There's another sketch that we used to do called the piece of paper sketch, where someone holds up a blank piece of paper and tries to sell it. And someone walks by and tears a bit off to make a shopping list, and they, the price reduces. Someone walks by and uh, sneezes or something, blow their nose on it. And then finally someone walks by and steps in some dog do, and they wipe it up. And the price is reduced right into the end, they can't give it away. So they're trying to sell this piece of paper. It's a bit of a funny sketch. And finally, someone walks up and offers to buy it and offers all they have. And the question is, why, why do you want this piece of paper? It's torn, it's broken, it's got this stuff. And the answer is, because I made it. We are purposed for God. We're purposed for him. We cannot find our identity, our value, or anything else in anything else. Let's try this one. Will that? This is a dollar bill. Now, if I go to the store and there's something for 90 cents, can I buy it with this dollar bill? Okay, all right. So, if I go to the store and there's something for 85 cents and after tax, it ends up being 96 cents, can I buy it with this dollar bill? Okay, all right, so what if I ball the dollar bill up? Think about it now. Like, I just bought the dollar bill up, like, so it can't be worth a dollar now. It's probably worth like 95 cents, right? How much do you think it's worth? No, a dollar, listen, listen, y'all gotta pay attention. I just bought it up, so clearly it's not worth a dollar anymore. All right, all right, so maybe, what if I step on it? What if I stomp it? I just stomped it. How much is it worth now? Maybe 65 cents, 68 cents? It's still worth a dollar? Okay, all right, so what if I ball it up? What if I step on it? What if I put it in trash? And then, watch this, I tear it in half. How much is it worth now? A dollar? I could tape it? Then why, if this dollar doesn't lose its worth or its value, then why do you feel like you've lost your worth and value? Because many of you feel like you've been stepped on, you feel like you've been pushed aside, you feel like you've been abandoned, you feel like you've been talked about, you feel like you've been abused, like someone took from you, someone hurt you, somebody took advantage of you, and deep down inside your core, you feel like you've lost some of your value. And I am here to tell you today that this dollar still has worth and value because there are some men years ago who put value over this life and said that no matter what happens to it, it can still be taped back together. It can still be wiped off. And I am here to tell you that you were created and you're born and you're here and you have life and you have purpose and you have value. And though you've gone through some hard times and though you've experienced some depression and you might be wanting to hurt yourself and you might want to give up, you got to now tell yourself, but that will not define me. This is my condition, but it will not be my conclusion. I am here to tell you, you still got worth and value. And there is nothing that can happen that can take your worth and your value away. So what you got to do now, is you got to pick yourself up. You got to dust yourself off and you got to keep moving. Okay. So we get that sense that our value is not this is a defined by our conditions. I'm gonna we'll put a little uh, thing in the in the e-news just to uh, as another little reading 
about how often we look in the mirror, we feel we've had a good day, and we feel better for it. We feel our value is more. We feel God likes us more. And yet our value is consistent. Our place with him is consistent. Doesn't matter if I had a bad day with the kids. Doesn't matter if I've trodden on the cat or various things like that. Our value and our place in God stays the same. It's home and it's, it's family. Don't matter what I do, I'm still part of the family. Yeah? Doesn't matter about our performance. So I believe we have a choice. There's the call of the road, which talks about individual freedom, endless choices, me first, but loneliness. Or there's a yearning of home, which brings us into belonging community, to denying self, to preferring others, and restriction. If I follow the call of the road, I'm the captain of my ship, but if I am yearning for home, I know the ruler of the waves. Kind of better, isn't it? You have a ship, or you have the waves. When I'm following the call of the road, I'm just passing through. It's transit, it's relationships. If I have the yearning of home, my place is home. And of course, home is where he is. There is a sense that we are designed ready for eternal relationship with God. And I could have spent a lot of time speaking about heaven, and, but we know we, we get a sense of that in the presence of God here. And in that sense, our points of connection, our points of restedness, our points of what society is yearning for is found in him. As Charlotte was speaking um, two weeks ago, I'm I was profoundly affected by this whole thing about comparison, these distractions of comparison, and how actually God has got something for us when we bow down. We find ourselves when we put him in the right place. And when she was speaking, I was reminded of these songs that David's going to bring us now, which are very powerful, and talks of our response to God and actually mirrors his response to us. So let's take these songs and, uh, and know that our worship is a hint of home. Let's focus attention and devotion on our Father. <laughs>